which is, it's going to be fun for us, but we're going to look at, it's going to sound goofy. Man, I'm going to do this when I get home next week. On the next episode. Um, uh, but it's, um, we're actually going to look at why we worship. I've never in my life heard anybody teach why we worship. Why is it that God desires worship and what's the point? So that's what I had planned to talk about today. And I, I was all excited about it. And then we were on the plane. So Tosh and I got to uh, to the airport on uh, Friday evening. We were flying back Friday evening. Had a 6.30 flight. We were all excited. We, uh, we got, um, got bumped up to first class. It's a little more comfortable, um, and um, and so unlo- now you can't do that with dogs anymore. Yeah, no, no more putting the dogs in the overhead. But uh, they're they're passing some legislation on that. However, you can put Tosh there and she'd be fine. Um, but um, I, we were excited, and we thought, okay, we'll get back. It's going to be around ten thirty, which is when I think we're coming. And um, we get on the plane. You know, first class boards first. So we get on the plane. They get everybody seated, and I'm I'm sitting there. And I told Tosh, I said. Something's, something's wrong. And she said, why? And I said, nobody else is getting on the plane. And this went on for like five minutes of nobody else. They didn't let anybody else on. And I was like, I mean, they, typically they move pretty quickly to board. You know, once they start, it's like, hey, we're going this group and this group and this group. And I said, they're not letting anybody else on. Something's going on. So the, the captain comes over to the speaker in the plane and says, we, we've got to postpone our takeoff because we have this black tire. I didn't know a plane could have a flat tire, but a plane can. Uh, now, I don't know if what they meant by flat tire was because I assume what little bit I know about tires is that they're, they're, I think they're actually solid tires. It's not like they're inflated um, like a car tire would be. But I assume that it probably either had a black spot on it, you know, uh, it, but it was a nose tire. So I think the concern is when you land, when that sucker hits, it, it could get a little So they said, we're either going to try to change the tires or we're going to get in the plane. Now, anywhere else I would have been concerned, but we were in Dallas. For those of you that don't know, DFW is the um, uh, American Airlines hub of the world. Okay, So they've got like planes just stockpiled back. If, it, if we were on Delta, we'd have been there for a day because they had to bring a plane from Korea. Uh, but, you know, uh, oh, whatever. God, God bless you. Delta, we bless you. So we're so Tosh and I, I, I it's not intentional, but we kinda got this thing that happens that whenever we're in an airport, it just seems like that God decides to do wacky stuff. You guys remember the testimony I gave uh, a while back about being in the airport and the guy next to us um, uh, buying the entire restaurant's food and drinks. It's like a five thousand dollar bill, the guy next to us. The Lord just moved on his heart. And so we were able to pray for him. I, I'd already been speaking to him about the Lord, and he starts crying and says, I, you know, I used to go to church. I, I've not felt him like this in years. And waves down the waitress and says, I want to buy everybody's uh, food and drinks. And, and she says, well, what do you mean everybody? He says, I mean everybody. 
does that, the Lord tells me then that I've got to lay hands on him and pray for him. So I said, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be quiet. I'll do it, but, you know, I've really found uh, that one of the first things he asks us to do is to lay our butts on the altar. He really does. You know, it's like, he. so I said, well, I'll do this, but he says, no. So I'm in full-on diversity of tongues, laying hands on this guy, praying for him um, out loud. You know, as soon as I say it, everybody's like, oh, no. No, no, loudly. And I'm thinking, this is, we're going to get thrown out. You know, this guy starts crying. He accepts the Lord. The guy sitting next to him starts crying and said, would you pray for me? We end up praying for four people before we left. Like, they're calling for us to board. So that was the last, uh, you know, recently. So this time, the Lord tells us during this, we're like, we're going to go get something to eat. I'm not even thinking about the Lord, and I know that's a horrible thing to say. I'm just thinking, I've got 45 minutes, approximately, and I'm hungry. Like, it's now going to be 11 o'clock when we get home, and as unholy and, and unspiritual as this sounds, I try to always stay sensitive, but I really wasn't thinking a whole lot about him. I was just thinking about the fact that I wanted a cheeseburger. And, um, and so we get into to Applebee's, and this lady next to us is holding a flag um, that's been folded, which indicated to me she had probably been at a funeral um, for a, a governor. And um, so Tosh and I were able to talk to her. Tosh went into full-on Tosh mode and um, was speaking over her. Um, end up, we, I went, they were calling for, we ended up boarding like with group four uh, because we had been there so long when they finally did board the plane. Um, I told Tosh, I was like, I'm going to go ahead and get on the plane because I've got my car. That way we can, she's like, that'll be fine. She prays for this lady and blesses her and buys her food. These other guys up, up there, then he starts crying and talks about feeling the presence of the Lord. All this stuff's going on, okay? So I get on the plane. Uh, Tosh takes her second happy pill and uh, and just decides to go night-night. And, um, and so I'm sitting there with the Lord, and um, he says that we're to talk about peace this morning. And I thought, well, I don't really want to talk about peace. Um, I just don't. I just thought, I don't really want to talk about that. Everybody, everybody, you know, kind of gets what peace is all about. And then I started sitting there and thinking, and I thought, you know, I've been in church my whole life. I've not heard that many sermons on peace. You don't really hear about it that much. It's kind of a daunting topic. Um, so we're going to look at, uh, at the idea of Specifically, what it means to pursue peace. Remember, if you would come and help me. And um, and what we're going to do, and I'm not sure, I, I realized that after, I may not have pointed out, so if I, if I shorted you, I apologize. Um, but the, uh, just know that the, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. So if you're shorted, just know that that means there's an extra blessing coming your way. We'll get two sheets on Thursday. Some of you don't get two sheets if you get a sheet or not. But some of you might really want one, and if so, I can get one to you after service. God bless you. So this is the part where most people turn off the live stream. So we're um, when you look at the idea of peace, rarely have I heard it talked about in church. Now, I've heard it from two sides. I've heard one side that says that peace is this serene kind of where you just have a glow around you and and where you feel like
he's fine, there's no problems in life. Then I've heard this other thing that we have talked about over the last several years. Did everybody get one? Okay, we've got extras if somebody didn't talk. Okay. Um, so the uh, in the last few years, we started talking about how the peace was the not necessarily the absence of conflict, but it was the establishment of victory. That peace is not necessarily where there's no problems, but peace is where his plan and his purpose is the established authority. Okay? And and it doesn't just mean that there's no problems or no conflicts, but it actually means that whatever he wants is the um, is the established um, authority there. And so that's that's absolutely true. The challenge is it is my opinion, this is speaking for me and no one else, but it is my opinion that that thought has caused us um, or given us maybe license to engage in some warfare that we're not really supposed to be engaged in. And I think that what's happened is we have had a mentality about peace that said what if it, that peace starts externally and then moves internally. So the idea is it's not the absence of conflict, but it's the establishment of victory, and that we fight and we labor and we I bind you, Satan, you know, all that kind of stuff, and we really get going, and um, and we're binding and loosening and passing out, and you know, I, I've been look, I've been I remember we were sitting in the booth at the Bethel one time. And I start feeling this enemy stuff, and I just go into warfare in Buka. I want some pasta. It's like family style. I mean, are you serious? They've got like awesome food. So I'm sitting there, and I'm Jesus' name, I'm buying you. I'm like, Jesus, you know, gritting my teeth. And I'm thinking, that's not what he wants me to do. I'm serious. Now, are there times?
They didn't declare righteousness had come. They didn't declare judgment had come. They didn't declare redemption had come. They didn't declare deliverance had come. They didn't declare healing had come. They didn't even declare that justification through faith had come. Peace is what they said had come when Jesus came on the scene. And yet, when you look at peace as a commodity or as a a value in the Spirit, we really put a very low value on it, in many ways equating it with with something that's natural. I'm going to do my best to say some of these things in a way that doesn't seem condemning. But condemning to how I've I've thought before, how we've maybe thought before. But the challenge is we so associated peace to emotionalism that we've told people that they're not to worry about being at peace because peace is an emotion, and once you become spiritual, you learn that you should never trust your emotions. I would like to suggest to you that it's not that you don't trust your emotions, is that you allow your emotions to be made whole. I was taught to build fences around my emotions and not allow them to affect me. He wants me to allow my emotions to become restored and made whole to where they can become fully affected. Because the reality of it is, when when in the New Testament, when the, the idea of the kingdom of God, which is what we're supposed to be welcoming, right? His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When the kingdom of God is defined, the three things that define the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. Two of those realities are felt realities. Peace and joy are both felt realities. Yet I I was taught, don't rely on what you feel. Now, if what you feel, hear me, because if you put period there and just return the page, you, you, you leave a lot of open end here. Hear me. Part of what he wants to do is he wants to come in and he wants to cause what we feel to be touched and restored. And what we have to understand is, if what you feel doesn't look like righteousness, joy, and peace, it's not the kingdom. So if it, if it looks like death, loss, and destruction, his, the enemy's fingerprints are on it. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. If what you're feeling doesn't look like life and life more abundant, don't trust it. But it's not that we shouldn't trust what we feel. It's just that he wants to change how we feel. I've kind of been doing this debate. Jesus, this is not my notes. This is not where we're going. I've kind of been doing this debate in my mind about how, as adults, some of the stuff that we've got to get through, that we say that's just how we are. So as an example, what I've been thinking about is, if we're called to be a people that break our box, like we talked about last Sunday, extravagantly in devotion before Him, is it really possible that at all times the breaking of our box is going to be something that is very solemn and very quiet and doesn't have any um, um, outward expression to it. Now, I love the fact that we can, we, we actually, it was funny, um, some of you might remember Matt and Sarah uh, when 
so it was a little bit of a different environment, and um, and so they um, they never really experienced anything like that. So the only thing I told them is I said I just want to let you know that we encourage people if you feel like you need to dance and you need to scream your head off because you love the Lord, you should do that. And if you feel like that you need to sit and you need to bow your head and you come, you should do that. But we also encourage that they should be able to stand next to one another and the person that's screaming their head off and dancing shouldn't be offended by the person that's sitting and the person that's sitting shouldn't be offended by the person that's dancing. I didn't tell them, I didn't mention speaking in tongues because really that doesn't matter. Just being honest. If when he comes in the room, his presence is supreme, speaking in tongues is going to be the last thing you're worried about. Just being honest, okay? I didn't tell him about prophetic song because that doesn't matter. I didn't tell him you all look like lunatics because that doesn't matter, you know. And so um, when when he was talking about it, what one of the, the first thing he said was, um, how, "This is after the fact. How much they enjoyed it, and they feel maybe bad." But he was talking about how he we had never seen a church and didn't know one existed where people could be in a safe environment to break their box in whatever way they felt like breaking their box. I didn't say this. This is somebody who's experiencing this for the first time. And he said, if you would have tried to describe it to me, I would have been very uncomfortable. But in being there, seeing it, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So, that's of really high value. But what I also would like to suggest to you is when the Bible says, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph, he doesn't give a caveat for those that are introverts. So, here's what I've been debating. Not on the notes, not anywhere near the notes. But it's important in the sense of emotionalism. I honestly have been debating about, we've told people before, and I believe this to a degree, um, that, that it, you know, we, we're all different, and we've talked about diversity. We understand. We've said that you can't have unity and not have diversity. It's, it's impossible. But I also believe that sometimes we allow the things that we've experienced emotionally as we've grown up, especially as kids, to dictate who we then are adults, as adults. And I would like to suggest to you that there are some kids that are shy, but I've yet to meet a three-year-old introvert. Now, there are some kids that are shyer than others. Hear what I'm saying, okay? Hear what I'm saying. There are some kids that are more shy than others. But sometimes what we say is that's just my personality is it's actually a result of what I've been through that has hurt me and caused me to pull back or to do this or do that. So then people worship like this, and we say it's just because we're introverted. You get where I'm going? What I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not criticizing people who are, who are quiet. Some people are quiet. I've still never met a quiet three-year-old, by the way. But uh, especially I've never met a quiet three-year-old who's had like, you know, half the little Mountain Dew. Um, but when I really do think that there is, to some degree, as we get older, he's trying to touch some of these areas that we think is just how we were born, and it's actually...
actually a product of what we've been through, and we've allowed our emotions to be become touched in ways that has affected how we are actually able to be fruitful and open to Him. It's more of a defense mechanism than just how we were born. Sometimes. None of these are blanket statements, and none of these are in the Bible. So if you disagree with me, God bless you. I'm very comfortable with you being right. No. There, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So, when Jesus showed up, the angels cried out. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. What they cried out was, peace has come. That's That was the indicator of Jesus being there. There is a difference between internal peace and external peace. That is why we've been able to say that peace is the establishment of victory. Because peace as the establishment of victory is a principle that applies to peace as an external reality. What I'm actually learning is that even though that's true, we have viewed peace primarily from an external viewpoint and put very little emphasis on peace as an internal reality. We've been doing warfare, and we've been pulling down strongholds, and we've been welcoming His presence, and we've been doing battle with the enemy, and we've been establishing peace as a spiritual reality in the region that we're called to stand. But it's amazing to me how oftentimes I've seen people go out of deep intercession where they're engaged in the spirit realm, and where they're calling down things and partnering with angels and all that kind of stuff, but as soon as they get in their car, they have to take a Xanax because of their anxiety. That should not be. I'm not criticizing anybody that, look, I, I, the Lord is helping us with these things, but what I'm saying is, it, does it make any sense that we should be able to be these spiritual giants, but we're emotionally infants? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that I should be able to welcome peace over all of Indiana so that the peace of who He is reigns supreme and that His throne is established and what He wants to do and His purpose is established, yet inside of me, I'm a wreck. That shouldn't be. Fear should not reign supreme in my being when His love reigns supreme outside of my being. That just doesn't make sense. And what I would like to suggest to you is that it, we will only actually be able to see the establishment of an external reality after it becomes an internal reality. Peace that actually remains is going to be at its most effective when it is established outside of you because it has first been attained inside of you. That's how it's supposed to work. Why is it that His love can cast fear out? We've been literally saying that we've believe, been believing for fear to be cast out from this area. I, I'm believing for literally the state of Indiana to have a zero PTSD rate for soldiers that come home. Zero. Why? Because I'm believing that the atmosphere of His love will reign so supreme that people will be touched. However, I, it, it's, that's a very little value to them if it's just an external reality and never an internal reality. That's like getting somebody wet with water, but then being dying of thirst and never letting them drink. So, when you see this, part of what he's wanting to do is establish within us an internal reality first. Why was it Jesus could speak peace to the storm that he had been sleeping in? First of all, why is it Jesus could sleep in a storm? The fishermen are freaking out 
and the carpenters taking a nap. Like, does that make any sense? If I'm on a plane and the pilot freaks out, now I'm worried. Isn't that how it works? Like, I always tell Tosh, turbulence comes, I'm good. What I do is, I don't watch anybody else on the plane. I watch the, uh, the flight attendants. When they look nervous, I get nervous. The captain came over, she doesn't know how this happened. captain came over about 20 minutes before we landed in Indianapolis and said, hey, I want all the, the uh, flight attendants uh, to go ahead and take their seats for their safety because there's some turbulence. Um, there's a cold air current we're going to be hitting, and so there's going to be some turbulence for all their safety. I'm standing by the bathroom because I've flown enough. I know about 30 minutes before we land, that's about the last chance I'm going to get. And what I've also experienced is when I think, oh, I'll be fine, what happens is it's those are the moments that they won't let you go to your gate. And so you sit for an hour out on the tarmac waiting to taxi up to your gate. And, you know, your eyeballs are floating. And so what ends up happening is is uh, I'm standing there, and he said, comes up the intercom and says this. Immediately, my first reaction is to look at the flight attendants. They were calm. I didn't get worried. So the re- think about the, 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 the insane idea that on the boat, the fishermen, the guys who were like fourth and fifth generation fishermen, these guys were probably born on the boat. Like these guys, that's all they had ever known. Those guys are freaking out and Jesus is napping. Why? Because the peace that was inside of him allowed him to sleep in the midst of the storm. He then got up and spoke peace to the storm because that same peace that was internal could then become an external reality. We've tried to do it the other way around. Peace is actually the last thing that Jesus spoke to the disciples. John chapter 20 and 21, when Jesus leaves, what he tells the disciples is, peace be unto you. In fact, when he shows up in the in the upper room, that's kind of a funny story, he shows up in, in that room that they're at, he walks through the wall, cracks me up. It says, he walks through the wall and says, peace be unto you, and they flip out. And I know that they flip out and don't take it, because he looks around again and says, peace be unto you a second time. You know, it's like that, that cracks me up. It's like the, uh, it's like the dove that they send out, you know, they send out the dove, it flies around, can't find anywhere to land. It's like, well, there's no peace to land. No, nobody's accepting this peace. I'm coming back to Jesus. So then he sends it out a second time and then it lands upon them. So you have that thing. The, the thing that I'd like to look at is this passage in John 14. This is from the Passion Translation. And this is going to set the stage for us today. And the rest of this, we're going to move through pretty quickly. John chapter 14, verse 27. Once again, this is the Passion Translation. You're welcome to look at it in any other translation, but I, I like this word, um, word of God. I thought it was interesting words. But John chapter 14, verse 27. I leave the gift of peace with you. My peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be, tr- uh, or be troubled in your hearts, but instead be courageous. Here's something that I don't know that we understand. There are only two things that Jesus says he gave us that were his. His joy he gives us. The Bible says he gives us his joy so that our joy can be full. He also gave us his peace. 
us and says that we should have peace. What I'm telling you is he took off his peace and put it on us. That's messed up. In my mind, that's if you get it like this, you probably don't get it. is because he didn't want us to ever have to contend for peace. All we have to contend for is to be in him. Because as soon as you get in him, you inherit his peace. Here's what I would like to suggest to you as we launch into this. I honestly believe that if we can get the idea of being in him in what we've been calling proximal devotion, closer and closer to him, to where we move from walking with him to actually being in him, uh, you know, abide in me, abide in you, all that kind of stuff we've been talking about. If, if we, as we get into that, the peace that he intends for us is a secondary reality that comes as a consequence of being in him. I've spent my life trying to fight to be at peace all I ever needed to do was to get in Him. Why? Because He gave us His peace. Now, why could He give us His peace? Because He was going to the Father. Right? I mean, He was going to the Father. I'm, uh, there, there's plenty of peace. Plenty of peace to go around with that. He gave us His peace. And if you have any question about that, it says it right there. I, peace I speak to you. So the same peace that could calm the storm is the same peace that now belongs to you. We've been taught that we need to think about how, how absolutely ludicrous this sounds. I'm fighting to be at peace. That's what we said. Do you realize that the title of this is Pursuing Peace? Do you realize that of, I looked, and in the Bible, this is, this is what I do for fun, I looked at all 300 times that the word seek or pursue or follow after is used 300 times. Do you realize that other than, um, there's plenty of times it talks about, you know, somebody seeking to, you know, they were seeking to find, uh, Saul was seeking to find David, you know, things like that, but uh, to chase after. But do you realize that of the things of God that God authorizes us to seek for, 95% or 98 telling us to seek Him. You know, those of you, if you seek my face, you will find it, all that kind of stuff. One of the only things I could find, there was another verse that you could have taken it to uh, when it was talking about joy. But uh, of the only things you find that you're legally allowed to seek is peace. Now, there, that's a whole other day's worth of teaching. But legally, you're allowed to seek peace. Why? Because the only way that you can find peace is to find Him. But you can set your heart to say, Father, I need peace in me. I need to be at peace. And you can position your heart to be close enough to Him in devotion that you stand in the in Him dimension that we've been talking about and live in an actual existence of peace.
subsequently outside of you. I honestly believe that one of the, 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 the most effective tactics of the enemy is to cause you to be in turmoil. I really do. I think that if he can if he can get you to be in turmoil, if he can get you into anxiety or fear or any of that kind of stuff, what immediately happens is, here's why. Because it just doesn't take your peace. That's what I've always, you know, been told. That, we, that, that, you know, there's a battle that comes, the enemy comes, you know, something comes, and I just got to fight, you know, it, don't let it steal your peace, brother. Because I'm not supposed to be in peace. I'm to be in Him. In Him is peace. That fear might be stronger than your peace, but it's not stronger than Him. That's the difference. And that's what we have struggled with. And so we end up being a people that battle things we're never to battle. Do you realize that this is, I'm just reading the definitions, if this bothers you or makes you frustrated, forgive me, but read it yourself. The lexicon definition of the word peace is a state of internal tranquility. Exemption, this is really going to mess with you. Exemption from rage and the havoc of warfare. Exemption from rage or the havoc of warfare. Now, here's what I am trying to get my head around. I haven't done it yet. One of these days, maybe maybe you guys will. I don't know. Somebody's going to get a revelation. They probably won't even know. But I honestly think that some of the warfare that we've been engaging in internally is not warfare we're supposed to be engaged in. Some of the stuff where you've been grabbing your sword and speaking over things in your life. Now, we are supposed to be engaged in warfare in the realm. That is a legal warfare. But we're never to be in warfare over the atmosphere of who he is in us or around us because that victory's already been achieved. All we're supposed to do at that moment is declare that the battle belongs to him and he is our defense. We're to get in thanksgiving because we studied back, if you remember, whenever I spoke, when we, Tosh and I were in New York, remember what we talked about out of Philippians was that, that the gate to peace is thanksgiving. You will never get in peace until you walk through the gate or doorway of thanksgiving. So what's oftentimes supposed to happen is when you feel internal warfare, like the enemy's coming against you, what we automatically do is we go into battle mode and start, I bind you, Satan, you are a liar. Liar. Yeah, well, duh. So you can keep talking to him about the fact that he's a liar, or you can start proclaiming truth. If you knew somebody was coming to argue with you, and they were lying, would it be wise to engage in an argument? Would a lawyer ever argue lies in a courtroom? You don't do that. It has to be, now, don't get me wrong, they do lie. I'm not saying, but what I'm saying is, if you know that the other guy, whole guy's case is just a lie, you're not going to argue with him. You're just going to tell the judge, hey, that's all a lie. I can prove it right here. You don't sit there and argue for 10 hours. It's a waste of time. So why do we do that with the enemy? I don't need to engage in 
can argue with him. All I need to do is give him thanksgiving. Why? Because I can be in thanksgiving over the fact that I know what truth is because all I need to remember is what he spoke over me. The gateway to peace is always through thanksgiving. So I'm over here playing mental gymnastics about why I am not at peace, trying to get back into peace, recognizing that my peace is never going to be sufficient in the first place. The only thing I'm authorized to do is get into thanksgiving, because in thanksgiving I can get into his peace, because I get back into the in-him dimension of who he said I am, and in the in-him dimension, I am exempt from warfare. Why is it I don't have to fight? Because I'm exempt. I've literally never experienced warfare like I have now, where I never even engage with the enemy. All I do is engage in him, and as a result, he silences the enemy. He just does. He just silences the enemy. I don't know why he does it. I don't know how he does it. But he just does. And there's numerous ways that he does it. But I've literally been standing, the, this happened a couple weeks ago. Um, I was standing there, and, he, and this, this demonic goofball came over. And not a person. I'm not criticizing anybody. Spiritually. Uh, and this, this uh, thing started saying all kinds of nasty stuff. And, and I literally just ignored it. And d- didn't even get engaged at all. Just kind of was like, and and just said, Father, I love you. Thank you so much. And I just started declaring truth. It literally was like, I couldn't see this happening, but it was literally like as I did that, his mouth just was sewn shut. I, that just was going to happen more and more and more and more. Why? Because I'm becoming exempt from warfare. The more we walk in him, the more we inherit the victory that he's already given us because he's already given us his peace. My peace is very, very, very insufficient. But his peace that he gave us in the in-him dimension whereby we walk closely with him is something where we can come through the gate of thanksgiving and say, Father, thank you that the battle belongs to you, which doesn't mean you're just the victor. It means I'm exempt from being engaged in the battle. That's the only way I can explain it. So when we see this, I I shared this a little bit on... um, uh, prophetically on Friday morning, for those of you, um, some of you, I've, I've told this, but uh, so Thursday night is our, our uh, Toshnine's night to, to do uh, worship at the conference in Dallas. We were to do worship and I was going to speak, and, um, and we did worship for about an hour and a half, and um, it was really good, very powerful, and, um, you know, probably the, the closest, it's the, you know, you know what I mean when I say this, that, you know, there's a walk in the anointing of who you are, just regardless of where you are, right? But this time, it was literally the mantle of what he's doing here was there. It wasn't just our anointing and our gift. It was that that's the first time ever that I've experienced outside of this place what he does in this place to that degree, ever. And um, so about an hour and a half in, I was getting all pastoral and antsy um, that it's time to wind up worship. So Tosh decided to do this really cool thing. Her and the Holy Spirit apparently had something worked out where they were just going to try to drive me crazy. Um, and so she would, uh, she would stand next to me, and she, kept, she would walk up to the mic, 
like he's going to sing something to kind of close. I'm, I'm standing over here. People are still worshiping, but it's kind of, you know how it kind of has that tinkle effect, right? Kind of just dying down. She'll step up and, and then just kind of step back. face had to be, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? And so uh, I just closed my eyes. I was like, Father, I don't know what's going on. And he said, are you worried about time or not? designated driver. Like, usually I can kind of hold it together. Uh, and, uh, and so um, I, we shared, this is a verse that the Lord shared with me that evening. Um, and um, so we're just going to kind of rock through this pretty quickly. Um, if, if, uh, go ahead and skip to First Peter chapter 3. This is quoting from Psalm 34. So you have Psalm 34 on your sheet. That is the original text. First Peter borrows from that. So, 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful and courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but, excuse me, partial-wise, blessing, knowing that you are there unto Paul that you should inherit a blessing. Some of you have not had the level of blessing he wants to give because you have been engaged in rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, and not found the ability to step into being able to bless people that aren't blessing you. And I'm, I'm living that. This lady decided to, she pushed every button I had for me to get her on the plane. After the hour of waiting, all that kind of wackiness, the late getting on the plane, and then some other lady sits and talks to see. No big deal. I just messaged her. I said, um, I, that's actually my wife's seat. She said, well, where's your wife? Um, well, 
we were already boarded. All of those possibilities weren't in that seat earlier when we reboarded. She said, not my problem. Sounds like you need to find a flight attendant. My jaw bone almost broke. I didn't know I could clench that hard. So I thought, I just kind of looked at her and uh, said, okay. So I walk up and find the flight attendant. There was a mistake. They end up switching it. It's good. It was, it was fine. But the whole flight, she just she keeps going around just glaring at me. Because they put it right in front, like at the perimeter. So she just turned around and just glared at me for no reason. I got up and went to the bathroom. She's just glaring at me. And I'm like, Lord, I've never wanted a piece of luggage to fall and hit somebody in the head before in my life. But if that overhead compartment just miraculously opened, might not be a bad thing at this moment. Um, and so Tasha and I are getting off the plane, and Tasha goes to the bathroom. She literally comes up and is standing across from me, just staring. Now, what I also realize is she made her kids sit in coach. Just to give you an indication of who we're dealing with here. She made her kids that she was traveling with sitting coach by themselves while she took the upgrade to first class. So there's a whole other level of nice. And um, so I, I thought, okay, fine. I'm, I'm really, like, everything within me is rising up to just walk up to this lady and say, what is your problem? Like, seriously, what is your problem? And the Lord really quickly spoke to me. And immediately before I could say anything, Tosh said, Father, we bless her. And we literally just stood across from her and, and started blessing her. And then we walked out of the airport. We, from the time we left the gate to the time we got to the parking garage, we just spent, Father, bless her. Bless her children. Bless her in her job. Bless her trip home. Allow your presence to be around her. And as soon as I started doing that, I, wasn't, I was no longer frustrated. The scripture is really clear. We are, we miss the blessing we're supposed to inherit when we try to engage in rendering evil for evil. Why? Because according to what the scripture says, I'm supposed to be exempt from that battle. As soon as I make it my battle, I have to do it out of my strength. And whatever you try to do in your strength, you're going to have to maintain in your strength. And your strength is always going to be insufficient. So you're only going to be able to, the, the, at best, at best, you'll win the argument. At best, you'll win the argument. And how far have you come? You'll be right, but you'll miss the blessing. So, it says in verse 10, notice, and notice that it's, it's all this having compassion one to another. Love his brother, be pitiful and courteous. That's great. Verse 10, for he that will love life and see good days, let his tongue refrain from evil and his lips that speak no guile. So, here's the thought. If, if we get to see the good days as his purpose, his blessing upon us, and love life, if we refrain, what do you think is going to happen if we don't refrain? The implication is that the antithesis of loving life and being in His blessing is what's going to happen. The implication is that you will not like life. Have you ever met people that just don't like their life? Like they're just genuinely 
unhappy people. They just hate their life and you can tell. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that those people are people that will turn railing to railing and, and, um, and, and contradiction to contradiction and that kind of argumentative lifestyle. And what we've always thought is that that railing for railing or cursing for cursing was a result of them being unhappy. What this says is that when they do that, they inherit unhappiness. So, uh, this word for guile, just to mention this, and then we can go. The word for guile means to not have a hidden agenda. The highest level of generosity you can ever achieve is to give to someone who needs it less than you do with no intent for reciprocation. And oftentimes you can tell a lot about a person by how they treat people who can do nothing for them. You can tell a lot about people by how they treat people who have no influence. Why? Because what that is talking about is sometimes unknowingly we have hidden agendas and it's easier for us to treat people well knowing that there's something they can do for us even if that's not been our intention all along. So what this is talking about is that as we do this that we have no guile, no hidden agenda, no hidden motives, but that we would treat people well because that's what we're supposed to do. Because there's nothing that we can do for him that he does that for us. Right? So we're supposed to demonstrate that. Verse 11. Let him eschew evil, throw off evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. When it, when it says this in, um, in Psalm 34, the word ensue there is, is achieve, or it says to pursue it, and then to be able to seek peace and pursue it, but it, it means to be able to actually attain it. So this is, once again, one of the very, 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 very few things in the Bible that it legally authorizes us to seek for. Every day since I have read this, I've been getting up in the morning, and I've been asking, Father, let me have peace. Let me be at peace. Let me walk in that, and anything that would threaten that within me Help me to respond accordingly so that I can walk in what you've called me to be. And that's a legal prayer, according to the Scripture. And the reason we can walk that way is because the more we're in Him, the more we're in His peace as a secondary result. But you can actually ask Him for that. You realize it doesn't mean to say seek wisdom. Now, I know that you can say, Solomon, pray for wisdom, God gave. I get it. But literally, the Bible, God never instructs us to seek for wisdom. What he says is seek for peace. Because he knows that the only way you're going to find is through him. So Isaiah 54, 10. We're just going to read through this quickly. These, this is the passage that the Lord gave me on uh, during our service Thursday night in Dallas. And I shared a little bit about this on Friday morning when I spoke prophetically. Uh, Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills are going to be removed, but my kindness will never depart from you. 
neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay stones with fair colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. I will make thy windows of gates and gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. Verse 13. And thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. One of the things that he's giving us is a blessing that we get to inherit is, I'm, and I've been declaring this over our kids, but our children, the Elishas of this house, are going to live at peace. We've had to fight to throw off the other things that would at our peace. We've had to fight to get through some things so that the identity of what he's called can be attained to get back into peace. I've been declaring over them that great peace will be upon them their entire life as a result of this promise. Notice what this is talking about. This is not said that they've done anything. This is an inheritance of his blessing. And that in this way, as we, as the Elijahs, pursue peace, the Elisha's inheritance. That's what it teaches us. In righteousness, verse 14, shall thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near to thee. I love this. Uh, I saw this on a, on a worship video, um, and Bill Johnson got up and was speaking. It was, a, it was a Bethel worship video, and Bill Johnson got up and was just sharing something during worship, and he mentions this verse. And I love that because what he's talking about is that you will be far from oppression because you don't fear. In other words, what he's saying is you don't have to fight against oppression. You just have to step into his love because perfect love casts out fear. And as fear is removed from you, oppression is broken. That's an incredible promise. I don't have to... All this time, I've been think, I've been praying, God, break the chains and do this and do that. Let me not be shackled by anything that would oppress me. And I, you know, bind you, stuff. I've been trying to Jehovah gyrate myself into some freedom. But the truth of it is, He just says, "Don't fear." And when you get out of fear, you automatically inherit being free from oppression. And I declare that over us. I declare that over this house, I declare that over our families and over our children and over our homes, that because we are not going to bow our knee and submit to fear or to the spirit of fear, but we have inherited the spirit of adoption of our Father, that oppression is going to be something that we are free from, that our children never have to fight with it, that our children never have to deal with any type of emotional oppression or depression, that our children never have to fight with any type of emotional restriction or bondage, but our children would inherit great peace because of their father. That nothing would oppress us. I'd like to suggest to you that that oppression doesn't just mean oppressed by fear. It actually means any oppression is a result of fear. There are only two motivators in, in this life. Love and fear.
shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against them shall fall for thy sake. Behold, verse 16, I created the smith that blows the coals of fire and brings forth the utensil of his work. I created the waster to destroy, and the weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Everybody's heard that one. And every tongue that rises up against it in judgment shall condemn. Uh, excuse me, you will condemn. You will condemn. How do you condemn it? By just declaring what its truth is. That's how you condemn it. What the word condemn means to parse and to make a decision. Condemn doesn't mean sometimes the reason you can't get into truth is because you're spending too much time staring at lies. And we're staring at lies, condemning it, and we're focusing on that. And when I use the word impress, I don't mean impress like we think it's something. I literally mean sometimes the things that the enemy says is far too impressive to us. We allow it to impress who we are. And what rather and we give it focus, we give it attention. What we need to do is we need to condemn, which doesn't mean we look at it and say, that's wrong and I'm not gonna do that, I'm not you know, all that stuff. We don't even need to give it attention. What we do is we look at it, we separate, that's not the kingdom. And as a result, we declare truth, which is the kingdom, righteousness, joy, and peace. Every tongue that rises up against you, you will condemn. How do you condemn it? You separate and say, that's not truth. This is what my father said. And then you declare, this is what my father said. This is what my father said. This is what my father said. And you completely ignore the thing the enemy said in the first place, and it silences you. It's just how it works. That is the level of warfare we're engaging in. This is the heritage. This is our heritage. And the righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Verse, 50, uh, verse 1 of chapter 55. Remember, there's no chapter breaks. We're going to close with this. Ho, everyone that thirsts and comes to the waters, and he that has no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good. Let your soul delight itself in fatness, and find your ear. Come to me, hear, and your soul will live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people. Behold, the nations that thou knowest not, and the nations that knew not thee, shall run unto thee because of the Lord and the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified you. One of the other things, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, is to me, we one of the, the, the uh, deficiencies of our evangelism has been our lack of peace. One of the deficiencies in the, the in our evangelism has been a lack of peace. Why? Because as Maya Angelou said, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. to try to introduce somebody to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, when the Lord Jesus is supposed to be my Lord and His peace is not evident in me. The way this is supposed to work is that we walk in this and that's why He then says, everyone that thirsts, come and drink. And those that don't have any money, come and eat and come and drink. Why? 
because we will have such an abundance that we'll be able to give to those that don't have and that they're not going to have to worry about. When it's talking about money there, what it's talking about is qualification. We're no longer going to look for people that have high spiritual IQ. And we're no longer going to look for people that have been in church a long time and are frustrated with church. And we're no longer going to look for people that, that, that fit the status quo. What would we do today if, if all of a sudden people that were bound and oppressed started walking into our doors needing freedom? Would we be as willing to pray for them knowing God wants to touch them as we would if they came walking in and had cancer knowing God wants to heal them? If God sent us a bunch of drug addicts, would we be just as willing to embrace them knowing that they need to be healed and free as we would if they came walking in and had a physical malady? I'll answer, no. I wish I could let that be recorded. Because I'm telling you my heart. I'm not there yet. I want to be there. I want to be there. But in my heart, I still I know that I still see a difference. And that, I'm just telling you, a bunch of, I'm telling you, if like a bunch of demonic people come walking in here, it's not super exciting. I'm just being honest. You know? I'm just being real here. Like if a bunch of people full of demons came in, they're foaming at the mouth and freaking out, I'm not going to be like, yay, Jesus, revival is here. But if somebody was driving down the road and, you know, they were missing an eye and they pulled in the parking lot and walked in and they said, hey, God told me that he's going to put a second eye in my head if you guys pray for me, I'd be like, that's awesome. Let's do this. You're not foaming at the mouth. Your head is not spun in spit pea soup. I'm very comfortable with this. So what I'm saying is there is that thing where he's going to send no longer are we going to qualify that they fit the bill. And he's going to help us with this. He's going to help us with the idea that the, the only qualification for the people that he's going to send is that they're thirsty and that they're hungry. That's it. That's the only thing I'm to look for. Are they thirsty or are they hungry? doesn't matter, their issue doesn't matter, they're thirsty and they're hungry. And it's my job to make sure that they get a coat because he's given them to I have a ring and a robe that I'm supposed to put on. And here's the other thing. I'm learning that it's no longer my problem if they mess it up. I've been taught, well, one of the worst things you can do is pray for somebody before it's time for them to get free because then they'll, they, you know, it can be seven times worse. I understand that, but Jesus also never turned away anybody that came to him that needed healed. He, he didn't chase anybody down, but every time somebody came to him that needed delivered or healed, they walked away free and whole. We better get it. I'm not saying we chase people, but I'm saying we be prepared to walk at a high enough level because of the peace that's within us that we can allow peace go out of us to everybody that needs it when they come. It's like the woman I mentioned last week that, that had the baby, they were in an AIDS, AIDS camp, and they asked her, how could you let these people hold your baby 